What's the most important resource that you have? If you really thought about this deeply, I think you'd come to the same conclusion that Joey and I did. It's time. In our newest book, Wealth Without Wall Street, The Three Steps to Financial Freedom Through Passive Income, we talk about how are we tracking that time? Well, what is the thing that we can do to get more of that time back? That's right. If you've ever been listening to our podcast and thought, man, it would be amazing if I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today. Joey, I open up my email and it says, Dear Russell, earlier today, BlackFi's first day of Chapter 11 hearing was held. Uh, (laughs) like tires screeched in my mind like what what wait a second first of all they they used your real name so that that you know you're in trouble (laughs) exactly like my mom's yelling at me here (laughs) russell ivan morgan get down here right now (laughs) and i'm like what what do you mean they just had the first day hearing what are you talking about you want to update me on the hearing why don't you update me on why are you having hearings? Exactly. You filed chapter 11? What does that mean? And why is that important to you right now as you're riding down the road or running on a treadmill and you're thinking to yourself, I thought this was about wealth without Wall Street. Why are you jokers doing crypto? Why are you worried about what happened to a company like BlackFi? Well, here's the reason is that five years ago, Joey, you and I started mining cryptocurrency specifically ethereum we've that's right we've added um, some other coins over the years to that ethereum classic and then bitcoin and we used many different places to hold the those coins and one of those places because they were paying interest on the coins held there like geniuses like why wouldn't you put your money there if you're going to have it held somewhere why not get paid interest on it and i'm looking at my you know my, my little account over here and it says that i have 550 dollars of accrued interest you know in my no 624 dollars in my uh, interest paid but yet i'm also looking at the same thing that says when i push the button um transfer or sell Joey, it tells me trading is currently paused. Paused. That's such a nice way of saying, by the way, you lost it all. (laughs) So as you want to learn what not to do, or you want to learn what's going on, today's guest, as we like to refer to him as Bitcoin Bob, Bob (laughs) Burnett, he he speaks on all the international and national stages as relates to Bitcoin, He was instrumental in helping the country of El Salvador change their national currency to Bitcoin. We ask him questions like, are we in for the end of Bitcoin and other crypto? What does he expect to happen in the future with it? And was he surprised by everything that happened here as a result of big issues like FTX and so forth? So if you're interested in that, you're going to be interested in this interview. Let's jump in, Joey, right now with our good friend, Bob Burnett. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race 
and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Welcome to that Wall Street tribe. You know him, you love him. He is the master of all things crypto. And here to answer all of our questions, Mr. Bob Burnett, back for a second episode. So glad to have you, Bob. Thanks for having me, guys. Joey just gave you the moniker, man. All things crypto. And in our world, we call you Bitcoin Bob. So I want to yeah. I want to first start off with where, you know, a lot of a lot of questions out there regarding crypto yeah. right now, right? We've seen uh, the the fall of FTX. We we've seen BlockFi um, go into chapter 11. And so is this the fall of crypto? So let's let's start off with something as low level as that for you to answer for us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we could we could do the whole podcast just on that question, right? But <laughs> Um, you know, let's start with crypto and Bitcoin because, you know, you, you kind of used my introduction and you used um, those two expressions. And I think it's important to distinguish between the two. So um, there is a distinction between Bitcoin and crypto. And I'm going to stay at 50,000 foot level, but I'm going to actually use um, kind of SEC legal definitions. So Bitcoin is an absolutely scarce digital commodity, okay, as defined by the SEC, meaning it has no issuer, it has no governance, it's fully decentralized, all those sorts of things. So it, let's put that in one bucket. Um, in my opinion, and I think that the direction Gary Gensler, the head of the SEC, and a lot of people within the community are essentially saying, almost everything else and most likely everything else is a security and should have been issued through the process of a security. Now, given that the title of your firm and your podcast is Wealth Without Wall Street, I would think there'd be a natural direction towards something that is not a security and something that is 1000% accurate. So, um, you know, as you guys know me well, and we've talked for a long time, but I, I think a lot of people when they enter this space, um, they start out by getting attracted to all these shiny things. And it's very easy to do that. And I, to a certain degree, had that same journey. But I believe ultimately what people will find is that there's an ethos around Bitcoin. There's something Bitcoin's trying to achieve. And it still achieves it. And that when you cross the line and you go into what I'll call the the crypto area, when you cross into that space, there's a lot of danger. And there's a lot of abuse that goes on. And so, for instance, you mentioned FTX and BlockFi. So in my opinion, especially FTX, we can talk about BlockFi a little differently. Uh, FTX is a fraud. It's a scam. Um, and they happened to use crypto. We could dive into what they did if anybody really cares, but they happened to use crypto, but they could have used land. They could have used pineapples. They could have, you know, they were, they were fraudulently 
um, making claims about the services they were providing and the things they were buying for people. And they weren't true. And because they were based outside of the U.S., the normal protections that would be put in place weren't there. And, and they got obviously grossly abused. Is crypto ending because of things like FTX and BlockFi and these things, or what's your appetite at this point? I don't think crypto is ending, but I think we will go through. So, so right now there are on the order of 22 or 23,000 cryptocurrencies. Um, the world does not need 22 or 23,000. There are not 22,000 unique ideas and things that we're trying to be accomplished. There are a couple of them hoping to accomplish something that may be useful to society. Those of you interested in looking at those, what I would have to say is you have to think of them in the same context as if you were making investments in um, like angel investments or series A kind of investments into, into technology startups, which by the way is a very dangerous space, very, you know, very sure. specialized space. 100%. So if you feel competent in there, there's, there's going to be some, there's going to be some opportunity. Um, I believe, like I said, there's probably a few handful that will survive and find something of merit to do. It's my opinion that all of them, and remember I put Bitcoin in a different category, all of them, um, let's use Ethereum as an example, have become grossly overvalued and they still have a massive technology roadmap to try to implement. And so there's massive amount of risk. Hey, can, uh, I, can I ask a question yeah. on that? Because obviously Joey and I have more familiar with Ethereum than almost in, than any other currency, just because that's the one that we mine for so long until they yeah. move from proof of work to proof of stake. Right. And my understanding was the technology behind Ethereum was the technology that even Bitcoin or others were using their, their, their technology was kind of the technology of the future. And that was what gave me this warm and yeah. fuzzy to say, oh, wow, well, maybe there's a lot of utility, but also maybe even stability in that currency. What would you say to that? Where, where, where am I missing it? I agree with everything you've said, except for, I mean, Bitcoin's not reliant on Ethereum at all. It, it is its own beast. It has its own mining. It has its own protocol. It has its own developers. It has an entirely independent infrastructure. And its objective is to be money. Right? It, it's, it's to ultimately be the world's money. The objective of Ethereum, as originally stated, was essentially to be the world's computing platform. So, and I, I, by the way, I don't think that's the worst vision ever. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty valid vision. The, the basic concept being that... Um, can all of us have the opportunity to plug into a, a global computer and have access to like Amazon warehouse service level 
capabilities or even beyond for the average guy. And, and, and that was the kind of the Ethereum vision and the Ethereum token was basically your ticket to that computer. And so it makes sense, you know, why, why would that be? And it could still be the case. I think what's happened with Ethereum though, is that first of all, um, it's led by a small group of people. And while the word decentralized is very easy for Ethereum or any other cryptocurrency to use, and there's no real law kind of dictating what requirements must be met for something to be decentralized. In my mind, if a group of people can control the direction of the token or the company, then it's centralized. That's one of ways in which it can be centralized. And so Vitalik Buterin, who runs, really is the de facto leader of, of Ethereum, has said, well, you know, let's also be this, let's also be that. And I think as you guys know, maybe your audience doesn't know, I, I came from a technology background and, and spent most of my career developing technology. And the fatal flaw of almost any technology organization is what we always called spec creep, meaning that, you know, you, you have a vision for something could be a, a certain kind of computer, a, a music player or whatever. And as you start developing it, you'll find like, oh, I have an idea. I could also add this and then you go a little further. Oh, I could also add that. And, and at some point you, you lose the focus on the first thing that you started with. And it's a very, very dangerous path. Um, Cause a lot of times you end up never finishing or you, you know, you, it gets too complex. And it's my opinion that Ethereum has tried to do too much. It's gotten too complex. Um, it's centralization has become very apparent and that centralization now has the eye of the SEC. And if the SEC comes in and says Ethereum is a security, then it will have to be managed as a security and the organization running it will have to abide by all the rules of being a regulated security. And that's a whole different world. Right. And so it defeats the purpose. Yeah. So it, it just gets very, very convoluted. Well, I mean, for for those of us who are not super techno technologically um, educated nor you know advanced, if you will, I'm not even or educated advanced. at all. I'm not advanced right. enough to even, even say what I'm trying words. to say there, Joey. Yeah. But I, I have watched enough Steve Jobs movies to know he's kind of given the example of the Lisa, right? That original computer where they had this one vision and then it kept expanding, 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 expanding. Ultimately, it was like a ten thousand dollar computer that nobody could buy. Right. And, and, that, and that's kind of what you're alluding to in probably my basic terms. Yeah, it's 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 a pretty good analogy, Russ. And 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 then you look at the really successful things they did, like, for instance, the original iPad or iPod, excuse me, the original iPod. You know, it did one thing really, really well. By the way, it wasn't the first digital music player. In fact, I, I was part of a team that developed one before them. But to their credit, they did it the best. They did better than, than my team did it. 
And it was very simple, very easy to use. And it did one thing well, it played music, right? And, and they did and, a good job of explaining what it was and how it worked. <laughs> yeah. If you've listened to our show for any length of time, you've heard us talk about infinite banking and how we were able to use that concept to create over $50,000 a month in passive income. But it's just not that easy to figure out how does this all connect into my own personal system? Stallion, that's why we created the passive income operating system, bro. It shows you how to turn active income into passive income. It makes all the steps come together. If you would like to get access to it as a podcast listener, we've never given this away in public before. Go to wealthwallstreet.com forward slash P-I-O-S. There was nothing worse than walking into class when you're in school and the teacher saying, pop quiz day. Why? Because you were unprepared. Are you unprepared though for financial freedom? Don't be. Find out how close you are by taking our 30-second quiz at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash quiz. Can we dig a little bit into that, explaining what it was and how it worked? So let's let's talk a little bit about Bitcoin, right? Like you're obviously yeah. very bullish on Bitcoin, not only as money, but also, as you say, a, a long-term asset that that we we all should potentially own. And I know that you were very influential in helping El Salvador as they were making the decision to to add that as their country's currency. Talk a little bit about what's happening in that world. Do you think that the price of it is is mostly impacted by all of this other craziness that's going around? Or is there other factors at play that we don't know about? Okay. Um, very good question. Um, Let's start with price. And uh, there's a friend of mine, his name is Jeff Booth. He's written a book that talks about the, um, it's called The Price of Tomorrow, Jeff, Bo Jeff Booth, The Price of Tomorrow. And it's about the deflationary aspects of what he would call a natural economy. And we've been led to believe that inflation is necessary for economic expansion. And that's not true. It's, it, in fact, it is opposed to the expansion of an economy. And what has happened is we live in a world, we won't go too far down the rabbit hole, you know, where, where the Fed and the central banks around the world manipulate money and in large part, the general public holds them in high esteem, like, oh, these brilliant people um, are, are pulling these, these uh, virtual economic levers and, and uh, playing with the interest rate and playing with the money supply, and they're guiding us on this path. You know, Jerome Powell will stand up at least once a quarter and, and talk about this as though he's some sort of wizard. It's really a lot simpler than that. And when you look at inflation, this is an analogy, okay? Or, or a visualization, put it this way. Imagine you're in a big room and there's a line drawn right down the middle of the room. And on the left-hand side of the room is all the money in the world. And on the right-hand side, 
is all the stuff in the world, all the things, um, all the cars, all the tables, all the chairs, all the whatever. Um, stock certificates and things like that are over there too. Okay. So there's a, there's a no, balance. We, we don't, we don't have any stocks. There's no stock certificates. It's just everything <laughs> else. Keep going. So, sorry. just had to Privately. Interrupt. They're private. They're private. Okay. Privately held companies. <laughs> um, now imagine that, um, you know, Russ is feeling really industrious one day, he walks outside, chops down a tree in his backyard, starts, starts tr turning the tree into a new dining room table. Now, when he's done, we throw that dining room table onto the side of the room that has all the stuff. Right. Now, if on the left-hand side of the room, nobody has played with the money, same amount of money, but one more table in the world, what does that mean? It means that everything else that was previously on the pile just got a little bit less expensive because this, this, this money represents everything over here, right? Right. Because so, a simple way to, to explain that, if we had a million dollars on one side, a million things on the other, you could say they were all worth a dollar a piece. Yeah. But if you made it a million one, well, now that price would have to be less than a dollar because you have more things than you have the dollars. Right. Okay. Right. And if you think about it, that is the natural course of, uh, of, of the world that, that people are making new stuff over here. And that includes things like, you know, we're old enough that when we went to, let's say high school or college, we probably all bought a calculator, right? Yeah. So, um, Used a calculator would be a different question, but you bought one for sure. <laughs> yeah, you probably had one, right? Sitting in the, but but um, what's happened is, you know, we all have a phone and we can now get a calculator for free on the phone, right? So that's an example of improvements in productivity, improvements in efficiency. And if nobody's playing with the money supply on the one side, on the other side, then everything should naturally get cheaper with time. I know it's a wild concept, right? But that's that's what we that's what we, and it's what we should demand as a society, right? Because when the opposite happens, right now we go back to the original state, and I like your analogy, Russ. A million dollars and a million things. We will say now if if somebody makes um. A hundred thousand more dollars. Now we have one point one million dollars representing a million things. Therefore, everything gets more expensive. Now, certain things might get—that's uh, on average, right? Certain right. things might get higher or lower. Okay, so we'll get back to the Bitcoin thing. You know why Bitcoin? Why do I believe in Bitcoin? Because the game that we're just talking about is the game that's being played by the central banks around the world. We want to keep it really simple. What they're doing is they're screwing with the left-hand side of this equation and they keep printing more money. And even though society and technology are getting more efficient, they're stealing all those gains and it is theft. And um, they're using the, those, that money that they've stolen to largely do things 
at least I don't support. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I'll just keep 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 it at that. So Bitcoin, go back to the, you know, what is Bitcoin? Bitcoin is about the separation of money from the state, number one. Don't don't give them control. Let's have a form of money that they can't control. Number two, let's take the banks out of the equation, or at least have the choice to take the banks out of the equation. One, because they're expensive, but two, let's not give them or the government a control point. So that if if you know the three of us want to make some sort of business deal, if I want to buy something from you guys or or pay you for some service, I don't want somebody else to be in the middle and have to approve it. The essence of Bitcoin is is are those things separate separate money from from the state, stay out of our ability to transact amongst people. We'll go go back to El Salvador in a second. Um, and then the third thing is the money supply is fixed. So nobody can play a game like we talked about, right? So it, it, it allows the natural course of the economy. And, you know, um, you know, obviously, you know, you guys and, and, and myself, we're all strong believers in Nelson Nash and, and the infinite banking concepts. And um, I wish Nelson was still alive because I would love to have a really detailed conversation with about Bitcoin because I think when he, if he really got down to it, I think Nelson would have loved it because you know he, he he loves things that don't have control. He's truly an Austrian in his thought, uh, is economic thought, which Bitcoin is very much founded in, in that. It's very much founded in kind of, I'd say, a libertarian sort of um, political vein runs runs through it i i totally agree uh that nelson if he understood it would have been a big proponent of it my my question to you would be like okay i get the fact that bitcoin is a good storage of value uh it's a great alternative to the currency that is dropping like a rock as they continue to inflate it the money supply however Beyond that, I'm I'm listening to Wealth at Wall Street. I want financial freedom. How do I create passive income that will free me from my nine to five? That will get me to the point where I have more passive income than expenses, and I can I can finally have more time with my family and in the freedom that I'm looking for. What are some ways that you have you have used this vehicle to do that, or does it exist? Well, it, it does exist, um, and you know, Bit, Bitcoin mining uh, still exists. So, you know, we started our relationship in the Ethereum mining space, and at the time, the mining infrastructure of the two was the same, using a technology called proof of work. Um, proof of work still exists for Bitcoin. Um, it is a a business whereby you can invest capital, you can depreciate that capital. Um, uh, and then you, you get the same things that we've talked about before, which is, Hey, every single day, every 10 minutes, actually the way the Bitcoin network works every 10 minutes, you can participate in securing the network, processing the transactions is a lot. We, a lot of people phrase it and, and you get a little slice of Bitcoin every 10 minutes. 
And so you can create those passive income sources that way. Um, you can also create money flow. I'm not, I'm not advocating tax avoidance or anything like that. Um, actually, I advocate for tax avoidance, but in a, in, in, legally, in a legal way. But there is no middleman between the Bitcoin network and you when you get paid. Okay, you can set it up so that there's no way for a bank or somebody else to, let's say, get in the way. And then I guess you make your decisions about how you're going to report it and you can work with your accountant on that. But I'll just phrase it that way, that, that there's a way for you to do work and, and literally not involve a bank and work directly with the Bitcoin network to your wallet and you have a bare asset that, that nobody can touch. I find some power and freedom in that thought. Besides mining, is there any other way that people utilize Bitcoin for passive income? Yes. Um, A second way to participate is to do, um, to run what's called a lightning node. So in Bitcoin, there are, there's what's called the base layer of Bitcoin. Okay. And every 10 minutes process, uh, transactions are processed on that. Okay. But, and, and in certain situations in a business deal and a, a large transaction, it's no problem. And in fact, the Bitcoin network processes about the same number of transactions daily as the Fedwire, which is the, you know, kind of the interbanking system. Um, it also, by the way, processes more value than American Express or Visa annually. So that's how big it is today. Oh, we, wow. That, it's, that's, that's humongous. It's a lot bigger than probably most people think it really is. But a negative would be if you, I don't know, you go to Target, you go to Starbucks, you go to McDonald's or something like that, and you want to do a transaction, and obviously you need it to, to, to um, complete in the same kind of timing that you get from a Visa or MasterCard. Um, Bitcoin's not capable of that at what's called the base layer. So it has what's called the second layer, which is called lightning. And essentially what you could do is take, let's, let's say you had 10 Bitcoin. You could move um, a 10th of one Bitcoin up to the lightning layer. Okay. And, and now it's not quite as secure. It's not quite as decentralized, but it's really fast. Okay, so you can move money between these layers. So you kind of like move it up there. And now the lightning layer will transact very, very rapidly. Okay. Now, if you wish, you can run what's called a lightning node and be part of the lightning network, which sits on top of the Bitcoin network. And, and by being part of that network, um, you can collect a small revenue stream from being part of that network. So, um, you know, you can, so in other words, you can be part of kind of the slower, more secure network through Bitcoin mining, or you can be part of the next layer, which is kind of the fast, um, high level transactions. What's, what's, um, what's cool about that is, I guess in both cases, they're truly passive. You invest in the hardware, you set it up and you don't really have to do anything after that. You just collect money. Let's just say I had one Bitcoin and it happened to be on a platform that was under chapter 11. 
not naming anyone, but it starts with B and rhymes with Phi. <laughs> okay. God bless me in figuring out a way to get that off that exchange at some point in the future, right? Let's assume that that happened. Yeah. Where do people store these assets that are not necessarily controlled by someone else, right? Like you you mentioned to us offline that these are bare assets. Those who yeah. are holding them are in essence the owners of them, and that's why the people that we know that made dumb decisions to put them in places that they are no longer the holder or the bearer of it, don't necessarily have control over it. Where do people store them, but give them access to it if they want to use it? Where are some of those places that you've seen or, or have done personally? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to give you three answers is three different potential okay. solutions. Okay. All right. The first is, and this is generally going to be for people that are holding a, a larger amount, let's say six figures or greater, okay, just as a rule of thumb. There are organizations, uh, for instance, one would be called Prime Trust, another one would be called River. Um, and you can go to those organizations, and if you're not comfortable doing it yourself, you're not holding it yourself, these are trusted places backed by Lloyd's of London policies, and, and, you know, you can, you essentially have your Bitcoin transferred from BlockFi or wherever it is to them. Um, you're going to pay them a fee, uh, might be half a percent or 1%. It's usually negotiable, by the way. Uh, and they will custody it for you, right? And, and it's, it's backed by an insurance policy. So you're kind of getting a mimicking of the existing financial system where you've made a deposit and you've got the FDIC and all that. It's not foolproof but it's, it's pretty good. So that's the first way. Um, the, the second way is to uh, use a, a device like this. This is called the Trezor. And um, there's a, a, another one called the Ledger. And so this is, this is basically just a USB dongle. And um, when you buy this device, which you can buy them from about uh, about forty dollars to one hundred fifty dollars, depending on the features that you want, and but but they all work well. And essentially, what you're going to do is you're going to transfer the private key. So the private key is it's probably best visualized as you know your password, but it, it it's not exactly correct. But the idea is that. Your Bitcoin is is um, protected by that private key, which is a, it's a long 77 digit number. And and here you go. You put it on here and then I can't I'll show you just part of it. But um, then you get what's called a seed phrase like here I'm covering up part of mine because I can't give you all of it. But you, you you write these words down. So even if this device fails, you can recreate it on on here. Okay. By, by entering these words into a website, it will recreate the private key. And the idea is you're going to put maybe this in a safety deposit box and in a different location, you're going to put this. Okay. And, um, and so that's, that's that way. Now, the third thing you can do is use a technique called multi-sig, which stands for multi-signature. You guys would be a great example. You guys are business partners. So, 
well, the idea would be that instead of one private key securing the money, you use in this in this case, um, like there's a company called um, Unchained Capital, okay, and and they provide this service, and so you each would get a key, and then they would keep a key as well, and it would require two of three keys to access the money. So if you, if if you guys want to do something, you don't need to involve Unchain. You can both say, hey, we want to spend this Bitcoin or transfer it somewhere else. You guys both have a key, you plug it in and you go. Or let's say, God forbid, something happens to one of you, you you would be able to um, call Unchained up, said, hey, you know, Russ, Russ went down on this plane. So Joey calls him up and says, hey, um, this unfortunate thing happened. I don't know where Russ's keys are, but here's his death certificate. And Will you help me move the the Bitcoin? So three levels. The, the first level is probably high net worth people. You can use these other organizations. You don't have to, you know, but if you're not comfortable and you want kind of this more traditional solution, that's one way to go. Second way, invest in these devices. A third way is work with a multi-sig solution. No, that's really good. I, I, I'm grateful that you gave that application because I think there are people who don't know anything other than the Coinbase's or the BlockFi's or whatever yeah. those are to know what to do. I know that Joey and I didn't until you kind of had shared that with us offline. The last question I have for you as we leave, I know we're, we're out of time and we're grateful for you. And if you haven't had a chance, you want to find Bob, go to barefootmining.com. You can type in Bob Burnett and you'll you'll probably find him speaking at a Bitcoin conference, crypto conference somewhere out there that that you could hear him live. And he has done a fantastic job of sharing both the economics and the utility of this with us privately and and in front of large groups. I really appreciated that question I want to end with. And I probably should have started with it because it's probably the question most people have is. Did you, were you taken back by where we've gone in price within all of these assets, right? Because I know you and I've had conversations in the past and, and and there was some, you know, speculation of where we were going to go. Sure. And and so what, when, when everything came back down, right, like significantly reduced 60, 70, 80% reductions in price and more in some situations, we... People have asked me, hey, what does Bob think? Is Bob surprised by what's happening? So I would love for you to just share just a couple minutes on your thoughts on what's happened there. I know we sort of touched on price earlier, but I want to go to that part too. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I'm glad you brought it back because I actually didn't, obviously, I didn't touch it properly. Um, Am I surprised that, I don't know, today's price is 16,800 or something like that? Am I surprised that we're there today? Answer is yes. Um, I didn't, I did not see, the probability, uh, the probability a year ago of us being here today in my mind was about 1%, you know, that, so I'm, I am quite surprised. Um, and the path by which we got here and the reasons by which we've got here, um, you know, we have, we have block fine FTX, which you talked about. We had, a bunch of things happened this spring with some other platforms like Voyager and Celsius. We've had some of the large public mining companies. Um, one of the largest called Core Scientific actually announced uh, a bankruptcy today and, and uh, 
chapter 11. Um, and, and that put pressure on, on, on the system. So am I surprised? Yes. Nothing's changed in my long-term view of it, though. I still believe at the end of the day that Bitcoin is the best form of money ever created, that ultimately the world will recognize it and everything will get priced in Bitcoin. And if everything gets priced in Bitcoin, then the appropriate long-term, the appropriate in today's dollars, the appropriate long-term price for Bitcoin is about $20 million per Bitcoin. Um, and, and that, by the way, goes back to the analogy I talked about before. You take the value of all the stuff in the world, kind of less some of the liabilities, but the net, the net value of all the stuff on the right-hand side, um, and you divide it by 21 million, that's the number you get. I still believe that. Um, the path to get there may be taking a little longer. Um, I clearly, people's confidence has been shaken. I would say that part of that is miseducation, though, or, or just lack of understanding, because people like uh, organizations like FTX really have nothing to do with Bitcoin. Um, now, what they did do, by the way, though, and what makes me mad personally, this is the way it affected me. I didn't have a single dime on FTX. I never had an account. But they still impacted me because for the last year and a half, if somebody did go on to the FTX platform and say they wanted to buy one Bitcoin, they were taking those people's money but not actually buying a Bitcoin. So um, the market didn't feel the demand, right? I mean, somebody, somebody was reading a computer screen that said Joe Smith has an account and it has one Bitcoin, but that doesn't mean he had Bitcoin. Now, Joe, Joe has um, a little bit of responsibility in that though, because he could have forced it. If he had one of these, he could have bought it on FTX and then said FTX, send it to me. And it would have forced that accountability to FTX, and then it would have it would have become the bare asset that it's supposed to be. So, um, you know, I you know, where will it go? I don't know. Um, in 2023, you didn't ask me, but I'll, I'll I'll put the pressure on myself. You know, I will be very very surprised if we don't see a doubling or more of price in 2023. Very surprised. I think we could test back into the fifty sixty thousand dollar range. There is some probability that we could see 10,000, 12,000. But if you followed it closely, what you'll see is that even through all the turbulence of FTX, actually, Bitcoin didn't fall much. It, it's shown massive resistance around sixteen dollars to $17,000. The, the, the last thing I'll say about price, though, is that it's a tricky thing. And, and to a certain degree, even though I just talked about price and relative to dollar, what we're trying to do is we're trying to define the future of money by the old monetary system. And there's a certain logical break there, right? Like, hey, when, if, we're, if we're measuring Bitcoin based on this old system, which we just talked about is all messed up and manipulated, is that really the right way to measure it? 
it, it, it creates a, you know, it creates a, like I said, a, a logical break there. Right. It's a curious issue that we can't solve because it's a moving target. And I understand exactly what you mean there. Bob, we're so grateful for you. Thank you so much for coming on the show uh, and sharing this. If you have questions, as we mentioned before, go to barefootmining.com and, and get with Bob and, and figure out potentially is this an area that you you should be or could be participating in there's lots of things that you've probably heard joey and i talk about and all of that has come because of bob's time spent with us way way more than he needed but we're grateful for it thank you for coming on the show and being with us bob thank you pleasure pleasure to be here guys uh always love spending time with you and i, I will say one other thing I, f I forgot to mention which is because of all this investments in mining are, are phenomenal right now that <laughs> the capital required to deploy, to get in is much, much lower than it's ever been. So um, it's not without risk, but, but it's a really good time, but thank you so much guys. Appreciate it. Thank you also for listening. If you found value today, uh, please be sure to share this with somebody else so that they can get further down the path of financial freedom and join you on that same path. Thanks again. We'll see you in the next episode. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.